stories are run in a cycle on the news to where we almost become sick of them. Crimes and mysteries oftentimes end up never getting answers. Did the family end up getting justice for their loved one? Was the accused even guilty? Welcome to the Aftermath, where we try to answer some of the stories we forgot about due to life smacking us in the face with more happenings. Forgotten Story the Yogurt Shop Murders. On Friday, December 6, 1991, in Austin, Texas, a quadruple homicide took place at the I Can't Believe It's Yogurt Shop. The victims were four teenage girls, 13-year-old Amy Ayers, 17-year-old Eliza Thompson, 17-year-old Jennifer Harbison, and Jennifer's 15-year-old sister, Sarah. Eliza and Jennifer were employees of the yogurt shop, while Amy and her friend Sarah were in the shop to get a ride home with Jennifer after the shop closed at 11 p.m. Approximately one hour before closing time, a man had tried to hustle customers in the line and was permitted to use the restroom in the back. He was in the back for a very long time and in retrospect may have jammed something in the door to keep it open. A couple who left the shop just before 11 p.m. when Jennifer locked the front door to prevent more customers from entering reported seeing two men at a table acting very strangely. Around midnight, police patrolmen reported a fire inside the yogurt shop and first responders discovered the bodies of the girls inside. The victims had been shot in the head, and some had been raped. A 22 caliber and 380 caliber pistol were used. The perpetrators may have left through the back door, which was found unlocked. Austin Police Department has DNA from an unknown male as a result of one of the rapes. A Y-chromosome match for the perpetrator DNA had been found in the research database of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, but it has declined to reveal the identity of the man in accordance of the law of anonymity for donors and because thousands of men could bear this fragment of DNA, which makes it unable to identify certain individuals. Unlike the others, Amy's body was found in a separate part of the shop. She was not charred, but she had received second and very early third-degree burns to over 25 to 30 percent of her body. She was found with a sock-like cloth around her neck. She had been shot the same as the others. However, the bullet had missed her brain. She also had a second bullet which had caused severe damage to her brain exiting through her lateral cheek and jawline. It's thought that the killers had stacked all four bodies, one on top of the other, but Amy had pulled herself off and managed to crawl to a different part of the store. Sarah and Eliza's bodies were found stacked on top of each other with Jennifer's body which is theorized to have been stacked on top of the others but had been disturbed when Amy crawled away. Autopsy results show high levels of BCU output which suggests an accelerant was used to start the fire. At 11.03, the cash register showed a no sale. 540 bucks was taken from the register. There were 50 false confessions on this case. They were shot by a 23 caliber handgun. John Jones worked for the Austin Police Department at the time of the crime, and he was lead investigator on the case. He has since retired. According to Jones, the part of the early investigation was the roughest. He and his team tracked down customers who were in the yogurt shop on the day of the crime to see if they had noticed anything suspicious. According to Jones, multiple customers described two men who looked, quote, out of place sitting in the shop just before it was due to close. Neither man was reported to have purchased frozen yogurt, instead only a drink. They never have been identified. And we did everything. We even hypnotized some folks, said Jones.
Robert Springsteen, Michael Scott, Maurice Pierce, and Forrest Welburn were only teenagers at the time of the crime. At one point, there were arrests and then convictions, but those convictions were later overturned on appeal, and ultimately the new DNA technology raised doubts about the involvement of the initial arrestees. Then in 1999, nearly eight years after the murders, there was a break in the case when investigators decided to re-examine and a different old lead. In 1999, the new investigators decided to re-question the men. Two of them, Robert Springsteen and Michael Scott, confessed to the yogurt shop murders and implicated Pierce and Wilburn in the process. All four men were subsequently arrested, but it wasn't long before Springsteen and Scott recanted their confession, saying they were coerced. Charges were ultimately dropped against Pierce and Wilburn due to lack of evidence. Springsteen and Scott were the only two to go on trial. They both were convicted, but six years later, their convictions were overturned on constitutional rounds. The Sixth Amendment gives defendants the right to confront accusers, and then Scott and Springsteen's confessions were used against one another. But they weren't allowed to question each other in court. Prosecutors intended to retry Springsteen and Scott, but before doing so, they ordered DNA tests on vaginal swabs taken from the victims at the time of the murders. By this point, investigators had come to believe at least one of the victims had been sexually assaulted, and prosecutors wanted to take advantage of a fairly new type of DNA testing called YSTR testing. It searches for male DNA only. No one expected what it would reveal. As a result of the testing, a partial male DNA profile was obtained from one of the victims. But to the surprise of the prosecutor, the DNA sample did not match any of the four men who had been arrested. Charges were dropped against Springsteen and Scott, and they were released from prison after spending 10 years behind bars. Theories. From the start, there were a number of issues with the investigation. First off, firemen who responded to the call did their job, and in the process, potentially washed away precious forensic evidence. Even more, in the early 1990s, Austin lacked forensic expertise, having only one fingerprint unit. Plus, with the smallest size of the city's homicide squad, there was only one homicide investigator on shift the night of the murders. Considering the horrific nature of the crimes as well as the staging of bodies, the investigators first looked into the serial killers may have been in the area at the time, which led them to Kenneth Allen McDuff. Kenneth Allen McDuff. McDuff was a Texas serial killer suspected of at least 14 murders. He was convicted of murdering three teens on August 6, 1966. Robert Brand, Mark Dunman, Edna Lois Sullivan. These killings were dubbed the broomstick murders because Edna's neck was broken with a broomstick after she was reportedly raped. McDuff was sentenced to death, but his sentence was changed to life with the possibility of parole in 1972 after the U.S. Supreme Court abolished capital punishment in a 5-4 to four decision. Due to prison overcrowding, McDuff was paroled in 1989. It's now believed that after his release, McDuff committed many other murders, including the killing of Melissa Ann Northrup, a 22-year-old Texan, in 1992. After evading capture for years, McDuff was finally taken into custody and sent to death row. On November 17, 1998, the day of his execution, McDuff confessed to the yogurt shop murders. If he thought this was a last-minute confession and it was going to spare his life, 
he was mistaken. His execution was carried out that day as scheduled. After McDuff's death, the authorities investigated his confession, but ruled him out when fingerprints and hair collected from the yogurt shop could not be linked back to him. Maurice Pierce. Eight days after the murders, the investigators got a tip to look at the teenager named Maurice Pierce. The 16-year-old was seen at North Cross Mall with a gun on the very same night Sarah and Amy were hanging out there before they headed to the yogurt shop. The gun was a 22 caliber handgun, the same caliber of one of the guns used to execute. But when Jones and Huckabee questioned Pierce, along with three friends he was with at the mall, Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, and Forrest Welber, nothing came of the lead. When Pierce's gun was tested, the ballistics showed it did not match the murder weapon. Also, just like McDuff, the fingerprints and hair collected from the crime scene didn't match any of the 14s. Eventually, the investigators moved on. The 1999 arrest. Years went by with no suspects, so the case was passed on to new detectives. Then in 1999, four suspects in their 20s were taken into custody for the murders. Forrest Welburn, Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, and Maurice Pierce, the same suspects who were questioned eight days after the girls were killed and released due to lack of evidence. One of the suspects, Michael Scott, confessed to the killings, and he was not alone. Robert Springsteen also confessed to the killing of the girls and raping one of them. After the confessions, the police were convinced they had their killers. The theory, the theory was that the four had planned to rob the yogurt shop. Scott Springsteen and Pierce entered the shop while Wildburn waited outside and served as a lookout. But then something went very wrong during the robbery and all the girls were killed. The authorities tried twice to indict Wildburn for the murders, but they lacked the evidence to link him to the crime. So all charges against him were dropped. Charges against Pierce were also dropped due to lack of evidence, which was particularly hard for the police and the victims' families to take as he was considered the mastermind behind the crime and the subsequent killings. Springsteen and Scott were tried separately for the yogurt shop killings, and both were found guilty of capital murder. Springsteen received the death penalty, which was which was possible even after Supreme Court ruling in 1972 because the state of Texas had passed a new death penalty statute, whereas Michael Scott was sentenced to 99 years in prison. However, not long after the trial, serious concerns were raised and suggested Springsteen and Scott may have been innocent. To start, there was no physical evidence linking them to the crime. Additionally, both men said their confessions had been coerced, and there was some evidence to back up their claims. One of the detectives on the case transferred immediately after he allegedly extorted confessions in an unrelated case, and a photo came to light of another member of the Austin Police Department pointing a gun at Scott's head during his interrogation. Later in 2008, DNA testing was done on the evidence collected from the crime scene, and the male DNA found did not match Scott or Springsteen or any of the other men suspected for the crime, for that matter. Then Travis County District Attorney Rosemary Lemberg said even though she was sure Scott and Springsteen were responsible for the murders, the men would not be re-prosecuted until the unknown male connected to the DNA evidence was found. Most authorities still believe they had the right four guys all along, and the fifth man must have helped to perpetrate the crime, explaining away the unknown DNA evidence. But the defense attorneys for Scott and Springsteen called the fifth man theory ridiculous and stressed that, that no one ever mentioned the fifth participant until the quote-unquote inconvenient DNA results came in. To complicate matters, in 2010, 
Maurice Pierce stabbed a police officer at a traffic stop. The officer shot him. Will this case ever truly be solved, or will it remain a mystery? Special thanks to CBS News, the unsolved Austin Yogurt Shop murders by the True Crime Files. For the aftermath, I'm Dan. Hudson.